available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Me and my creepy partner over there, we're the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. As always, we actually have some Pac-12 football coming back. And David's really excited. He didn't get to be on the show last week. I did a little solo version of just all the news and notes that happened on that crazy Thursday. But we're going to get David's thoughts today and why he's doing the Halloween voice. It's still September, David. You don't need to do the Halloween Halloween voice yet. I have small children. Halloween season started like a week and a half ago. Oh. Come on, man. Did we go over the, uh, are you a candy corn guy? You're not. No, no, but my children are because they're rats. But no, those are... (laughs) I think I've said I've said it before, but they have the look, the taste, the texture of traffic cones. Yeah, I just like candy corn and uh, the little pumpkins. Oh, man, so good. Uh, I don't know what it is because I'm really like a 12-year-old boy. Um, you like okay. the taste of wax with like a little bit of sugar on it. Everyone says wax. There is a lot of sugar in those things. Uh, I want to let you know if you want to get a hold of us. Uh, we got a bunch of emails, packfullpodcast at gmail.com. Or you could call or text us at 424-25, I'm sorry, 424-532-0678 is the number. That's 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast. The website is Pac-12Podcast.com and uh, the Reddit Podcast of Champions. You also can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us some positive feedback. We always do appreciate that. And David, just because you said it, I found it online now. Like there's, I, I see our rec, our, uh, our reviews. Yeah, it is. So it's a little deceiving online on the computer because it says 4.8 out of five, but on your phone, it says five out of five. I like, what is, what, I like, I like rounding up guys. Let's do that everywhere. Not just on the computer. I don't want to see this 4.8. So what that means, you have a challenge out there, listeners, we got to get this sucker up to the five out of five on the computer. Yeah. Come on, get to work. I know there's like three of you who've done all of these reviews. So you got to do another like, uh, <laughs> what do we have? 436 ratings. We need another 436 five stars. That'll bring us up. Let's do it. Get on it. That will help a lot. Did we read uh, Alicia ZZZZ last time? I don't know if you did, but I certainly have never read this one. I did not, but it was a sleepy. It's a five star, which is great. And says, I play this. Every night to help me fall asleep works like a charm. Would recommend for fellow insomniacs. And they got a sleepy little uh, emoji thingy there. So, uh, Alicia, ZZZZZ, we appreciate that. And uh, thanks so much for the five stars. The last. So, are you an Alicia or an Alicia? Like, what, it... you're, you're an Alicia guy. Okay. So, here's the thing I would always say Alicia, but then uh, when I, we would do, like, uh, for Reign of Troy, is the, uh, a, a podcast and a blog that covers USC. And Alicia is one of the hosts. And I've, we've done some, like, 
podcasting stuff where we've done like April Fool's jokes back and forth, and she's been a guest on our stuff. So now, like when I see that, I say Alicia just because of her. Let's let's Alicia. see. Well, let's see. No, I mean it could be either. Let's let's look up Alicia etymology because I'm interested to see if it is originally from say one of the romantic languages or if it is originally germanic aha 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 it is a variant of alice which comes from the germanic name adelaide meaning noble natured so given that it comes from alice but i would say it's an english germanic thing to go sha there alicia so i would say that is probably the original pronunciation but of course with our romantic languages adopting it, uh, you're going to end up with some interesting and fun pronunciations like Alicia. So that's very exciting. Yeah, uh, I would hurt. I figure like she does more of a, a European background. She's Alicia Deratola, so I, I, I'm guessing that's more going to be more in the romantic. Well, I don't know. That sounds that's that sounds like Spanish, French, or Italian, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we've learned something new today, everyone, and I'm glad you could come along with me on the ride. I love so the po- the whole point today was we're gonna, let's do a tight show, you know, and then we're yeah, gonna yeah. get into uh... <laughs> this is this is as tight as we get here. <laughs> um, but thanks for the reviews. Like we said, always uh, those are always appreciated. And if you saw our last show, or if you listened to our last show, I kind of went off. Just I listened to all of the uh, the Pac-12 webinars and all the you know anything I could consume. From that Thursday, when the Pac-12 announced that November 7th would be the start date, seven-game schedule. As of recording this on Wednesday, later afternoon, we still do not have the schedule. So we'll kind of break down some of the options, what we think. But, David, I wanted to give you the floor because I got to talk the whole time last time. And I'm sure I said, I don't know if you listened, I'm sure I said a million things that would make you want to scratch the chalkboard. Uh, What were your thoughts from this past, you know, from Thursday and this past week? Yeah. um, So... Uh, my thought is that the Pac-12 seems to be operating um, as responsibly as a major conference that is attempting to make money above all else could be operating at this moment, which is to say not very, but we're grading on a curve these days. Um, I think they have maybe... Given that they're doing it anyway, they've kind of screwed the pooch on the launch date. Um, they should have done everything in their power to get in the October 31st. I mean, if if we're just judging it on the merits of what they're attempting to judge everything on, which is making money and being a participant in all potential postseason events, um, uh, scheduling for the week of the first week of November puts all of that into question. I mean, I know the college football playoff will probably consider the Pac-12 teams, but it's certainly not going to help them. To only have seven data points versus eight and functionally for like the safety concerns and, you know, the pandemic concerns and public health concerns. There's no fundamental difference between playing eight games and seven. I don't understand the argument that they needed like six or eight weeks to ramp up. Like, yeah, they haven't been able to work out, I guess. They probably have been on workout plans. A lot of them, many of them are still around campus. They're probably still working at work using workout facilities. Maybe they haven't been able to throw. Maybe they haven't been able to do other things. But it shouldn't take you two full months to get ready for a season. I mean, I know, I know, I know. We take it all very seriously, and it's all very serious. But it shouldn't take you two months. So all of that said, um, it's exciting. It's it's going to be fun to watch some Pac-12 football. Um, I think everyone is attempting to have collective 
um, avoidance of what's actually going on in the world. And uh, so I will operate in that same vein and say, yes, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like, and I think Wilner did some good pieces. Everyone, there's been a lot of great journalism going on if you've been uh, consuming it like I have. Um, talking can, about can, the, can, can, can you stop calling it consuming it? Oh, sure. I mean, it just, I mean, no, I mean, you could keep going, you can keep calling it consuming it. It just makes me think of you like just drowning in content and it's like a, <laughs> it's a scary thing for me. Okay. Uh, that's a pet peeve. Reading? Have you, you've been reading? I've been you've reading, been reading a, a lot. lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I've been listening to some podcasts I've been reading a lot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I felt, I, I think Wilner nailed it with the. The, the delays that happened and really it came down to Larry Scott knew about this rapid testing even before the announcement on September 3rd, they needed to push this along. And my thought was just the PAC 12 was happy and I thought they handled things well early on, but they were happy delaying things and they sort of had their hands forced by coming up with a fall season. And because they really didn't want to do it, I feel that's where we ended up. We ended up in a place where, they had to scramble at the last second to get to you know squeeze something out there, but they could have been a lot more proactive and they could have worked with the governments in Oregon and California early on saying, hey, we're reading the tea leaves and the Big Ten's going to freaking play like they're going. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what it was is they waited way too long to get serious about it when the realities of the moment were going to force them to get serious about it because um, everyone's just playing follow the leader. So if. um if everyone so the SEC, ACC and Big 12 didn't break. So the Big 10, um, because I think partly the reason the Big 10 eventually backed out was just because they rolled out their postponement and cancellation plans so poorly that it left them with little political will to stand on. If they'd rolled out with the Pac-12's kind of unanimity, um, I think we'd be looking at a different situation. But because they basically rolled it out and then it was like just instability from the jump from the Big Ten without, you know, with several schools basically in open revolt from the beginning, um, a lot of denigration of Kevin Warren as the commissioner, nobody in the president's offices at virtually any of those schools supporting the decision openly, despite the fact that they were the ones who ultimately made the decision. I think all of that conspired to make it so the Big Ten had to reverse at some point. I think the Pac-12 would have been comfortable um, sitting out, and I think they thought they were up until essentially two weeks before this happened. You know, Wilner's thing was about the Quidel announcement, and I don't, I don't know if even after that announcement they were thinking about rolling this thing out in November by any means. I think it was more like, okay, this will make it safe for us to play in January. I think that was more the the way they were thinking about it at the time. I think it was the Big Ten ultimately caving so hard that made it almost politically more politically than anything unfeasible to um, to sit out uh, beyond that first weekend of November. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think they were, um, they were happy with the decision they had made. And then it, what, it's one of those things where you have to be able to read the room. Yeah. And your dance partner was leaving. You know? Well, that's the thing. It's because the, the, unless they were so convinced of their moral high ground, so convinced of the ethics of their choice, and so convinced that it wouldn't have ramifications that they couldn't deal with um they had to prepare for the eventuality that they would have to play um that they didn't i don't know that they didn't have a better plan in their back pocket or that the subject hadn't apparently been broached at a serious level up until what like a week and a half ago 
that's a failure. Um, I think up until this point where they basically reversed course, I thought the Pac-12 had handled it the best of all the conferences. I'm still not sure they haven't handled it the best of all the conferences. I mean, the other conferences, I think the SEC has been the most consistent, but um, I think the Pac-12 has the best claim to having prioritized, you know, public health, all that kind of crap. But I think the last two weeks have not been handled particularly well by the Pac-12. And I think it speaks to a lack of preparation for all eventualities where they obviously weren't convinced of their moral high ground, weren't convinced of the ethics of their cause, weren't convinced that they wouldn't feel those ramifications. And if you're not convinced of those things, then you have to prepare plans for the different eventualities. And I don't think they had a good enough plan um, for how they were going to roll out a new return to play. Um, and some of that is due to the state governments, but they should have been working. The fact that Gavin Newsom signaled it publicly before the Pac-12 really knew what he was going to signal is a failure. Um, you know, I, I, college athletics in California, it's not the biggest industry in the world, but it is a, a sizable part of the economy um, for uh, different areas of the state. Uh, Larry Scott should be able to get the governor's office on the phone and have a real conversation about what's going on. You know, not every day, but he should be able to have that relatively consistently because he's a big he's a big business owner, basically. Um, and for them not to have an idea what Newsom was going to say and then to then have to kind of scramble to work with all the local governments and all that kind of stuff. The Pac-12 should have been leading that charge um, from top down just to prepare for the eventualities, to prepare for the idea that they might come back on October 31st. And if they do, what needs to happen at the local and state levels? Um, because it is. I think in a lot of ways, it's a matter of paperwork. I think there is a lot of noise about the public health aspect of it. But I think for certain industries, you know, uh, wheels can be greased. And I think that's happening now. And nothing has fundamentally changed. So it could have happened two weeks ago. Um, and I think there were some failures there in, in, in preparing for um, the potential of coming back to play. Yeah. But we're coming back, which is good. Uh, we're you know excited for that. There's Are you... Uh... Before we jump into all the other topics, are you of the mind that this is going to go forward? Uh, because, like, we've seen some bigger games. Notre Dame had to postpone their game, I think, with Wake Forest. Um, do you f still feel like by the time November 7th rolls around, they'll be able to get seven games in seven weeks? Because that's, you know, that's kind of aggressive trying to I don't, not, you know, Yeah, you know. I, don't, I don't think every team was going to get their seven games in. Um, I. I think the Pac-12 has a pretty good testing plan in place that might allow it to do it a little bit better than some of these other leagues have been able to do it. Um, but even the NFL, I mean, what do they have? NFL is daily testing, right? They have the daily testing, and like the Titans and the Steelers game has been postponed yeah. as of now, at least. And for... college kids are even less controlled than pro kid, uh, pro athletes um, for a variety of reasons. So. The likelihood that they're going to be able to just test and have that be enough to prevent um, not just inter-team outbreaks, but um, potential for contamination between teams. Because I know, uh, you know, the NFL is being, um, you know, they have a lot of precautions in place where they're, you know, preventing two teams from playing because of uh, the outbreak for one of uh, Titans and Vikings, right? Um, I think uh, the the Pac-12 is going to have similar issues um, just by the nature of the virus and everything. So they're going to test and I think they're going to do a pretty good job of it, but to expect them to all get through seven games, I think is foolish. I think there'll probably be a team or two that does just, you know, playing the odds. Um, but I think a lot of them are going to have to postpone or cancel games. 
And we did just get word from the Pac-12 this morning that they've added uh, Fulgent Genetics as a partner. So they're going to add basically some supplemental testing. It's uh, RT-PCR testing. So PCR is the more, uh, it's like the, I think it's slower, but it's uh, you know more accurate. It'll pick up the virus quicker, but it's reverse transcription PCR testing, which whatever the hell that is. But it's just going to, you know, a little bit extra testing. So they have another partner uh, to go along with, uh, you know, um, you know, the, the, the rapid testing that they, they signed earlier. Yeah. And I mean, the more testing, the better. I just, it's not by itself going to, you know, solve the problem. Um, the big thing is going to be, I mean, what's the state of the, you know, the, the pandemic in, um, November, if it is really tamped down in California, um, like really tamped down in, in the West, then maybe you see it. I mean, it could happen. Um, but if it's starting to spike again, then I think it's really unlikely that every team plays every single one of their games. Um, yeah. It just seems, um, you know, it, it just doesn't pass a real smell test. You're talking about, you know, seven games a week for seven straight weeks. It's just, or not seven games a week. Wow, what am I, wait, am I thinking that? Not seven, 12, six games a week. Yeah. Wow. 12 teams. Brain. Brain, teams, buddy. brain, let's work. <laughs> let's do this together. You and me, mouth and brain working together. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, I think a possibility though, is that we start seeing delays and, and postponements across the country and maybe they do push back like the playoff and all that kind of stuff and, and games go a little bit later. I don't know. That, that'd be tough should, to coordinate. They should do that anyway, proactively. Now the, if again, we're talking about proactive planning. And we've learned that scheduling is not this huge ordeal that everyone's been talking about it forever. There'll probably be no fans at the CFP anyway. So what the hell does it matter? Move it a couple of weeks later. Build some more time for the Pac-12 to finish its games. Build some more time for everyone to get in their full complement of games. Why is that a bad idea? I mean, you're stretching into Christmas break a little bit more, winter break, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, what's what's the big deal? Yeah. Um, Well, we have, uh, since I kind of drive the agenda, since... I'm the one that puts stuff in the document that we share. One of the topics I want to talk about today was that cross-divisional schedule. Um, as you know, so it'll start November 7th that weekend. Every team is supposed to play seven games. Um, you play your five divisional opponents and then one crossover game and then championship weekend. They haven't been announced yet, but we assume it's going to be like the top from the north, top from the south, play each other for the championship, and then two versus two, three versus three, blah, 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 blah. But so the... The big question is, well, like you want to make it, you want to have everyone the same amount of home and, and road games, but you can't do that because there's only seven games. Um, how do you make it all work? And I think uh, the we got a question from Paul. So I think I wanted to talk about the cross-divisional schedule with you and I'll just read his question. And that's kind of what we're, the topic will be. He says, hello, champions, Paul at Nat Fod here again. Given that the schedule is coming out soon, how would you like the conference to handle the cross-divisional games? Should it be randomly selected? Should we do it SEC style where the team's expected to be contenders play non-contenders? Gonzano suggested we could do a regional setup where the better teams plays the worst team in another region and the other two matchups as well, such as Arizona versus Oregon and Arizona State versus Oregon State. What do you think? And I wanted to get your thoughts on this one, bud. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I see it as basically two... Um, essentially two options because it's basically that that final game right the the pac 12 or no it's the sixth game and then it's the, the final sixth game, game right? yeah 
So the sixth game, I think what you're going to have to do, I, I think there's going to be kind of a mishmash because I think they're going to do public health as much as they can, which for everyone else, it doesn't really matter. But for the California schools, it makes most sense for UCLA to play Cal or Stanford and USC to play Stanford or Cal. Um, like just from a, the standpoint of if they had to, they can take a bus. Like if if it comes down to that, they can they can get up there without having to deal with too many um, people. Um, so I, I would have to imagine that plays a role. Also, the dollars, you know, from those games are probably more than like UCLA versus whatever Washington State or USC versus Oregon State. I would have to imagine. Um, so that's, I think, going to be a component. Um, but there is some real like balance issues when you're thinking about it just kind of broadly, um, you know, and I'm not trying to denigrate any teams here, but whoever gets Colorado out of the North is going to have a leg up versus the team that gets USC. Right. Um, and that's, that's just going to be trouble. I think they can get creative with it. Um, but I think the creativity might be more played into that seventh game when they're playing on the same day as, as, uh, the uh, Pac-12 championship game where they could just line up the number two teams, the number three teams, number four teams, number five teams, number six teams. So I think they could do that just fine and play a second North team or second South team or what have you. Uh, but that sixth game, I think it's going to be trickier because you don't want to do that, you know, a couple weeks in a row. Um, so long story short, no idea, no idea how they can work it. I think they could wait to schedule it, but I just don't know what would be gained by doing that. Yeah. Well, this should be noted, too. I think this was something that Kyle Bonagora brought up a couple of times uh, and asked the question in the webinar, would the crossover game count? Because you could say it doesn't count. It would just worry about winning your division and that's it because there could be a competitive disadvantage. It will count. So I think that puts more emphasis on this crossover game. And what Gonzato, uh, and I, I like this sentiment, I don't want to see Oregon and USC play. I don't want to see the two favorites from the divisions play each other. If you want to have any shot at making the playoff or having a better team representing the New Year's Six Bowl, you you want to sort of protect those teams. They didn't do that for, you know, Alabama didn't get, they, got, they gave Alabama and Georgia two extra SEC games. Georgia didn't pick up LSU and Alabama didn't pick up Florida. So, I mean, those are the kind of things, I don't think you want to do that. What he recommended was, he said, you have three contenders in the North, Oregon, Washington, and Cal, and three in the South, USC, Arizona State, and Utah. So those three don't play each other. And then what he ended up saying was, why don't you have the Oregon schools play the mountain schools? So Oregon plays Colorado. Oregon State plays Utah. Washington schools play the Arizona schools. Washington goes Arizona or plays Arizona. And Washington State uh, goes to ASU. And the, the favorite team in each one would be the home team. And then USC and Stanford and UCLA and Cal. And it made sense. But there's also, we've talked to people, David, I don't know if you've heard this too, but they would like to keep the continuity with the home and away stuff. So you don't like, you know, change it all up. And with only six games that are going to be scheduled before championship game, you want it to be three and three home and home. So I made this freaking chart trying to figure out, well, would this actually work? And I put all of this, this programs down, which would, you know, like Oregon needs a home game. Oregon state needs a home game. Um, and Washington needs a home game. Um, but Oregon, you know, they couldn't play, this, they should be at Arizona this year. So they shouldn't, if it's, uh, they would have to have Arizona play at Oregon last year and then play at Oregon again if you want to fit that, that the work. In. And I, I went through all of the 12 teams and only two of them 
worked. Like Gonzalo suggested Washington would play Colorado. Washington needs a home game. Colorado p- could play at home. That were play in Washington. That works. Colorado needs a road game, and they could play at Washington. It works. So that would actually work. But those are the only two, um, and actually only three other ones, like quote unquote, work. Three other programs would work with Canzano's, uh, um, you know, format there if you wanted to keep the home at home. So the you know the home thing uh, and road thing the same. So it's pretty complicated as far as like, I don't think there's going to be a way to have competitive balance and also keep the continuity that we know the Pac-12 likes with, well, they Oregon State played Cal on the road this year, so they got to play this year. You might play twice in a row. And I don't I don't know if there's a way to avoid that after just kind of going through this exercise that took me about an hour trying to figure out who could play where, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I get it. I think uh, what would be cool is if they could just reverse it a little bit and do something like pods instead of trying to fit it into these six-team division structures because I think that's what's playing hell with it a little bit. Because the year's going to be weird no matter what. Just make it even weirder. Like, do three four-team pods. Have, like, the top two teams advance from each pod. The rest can continue to play each other for no reason. Um, But do something like a mini playoff structure to the Pac-12. Because you're not... Like, the way it's going to work, it's going to be so unbalanced. And have the pods, like, power-ranked by, like, the members of the media or whatever. Like, just have a preseason ranking that actually dictates a lot of the scheduling structure. Um, because otherwise it's just it's not enough data points and the unbalance of that sixth game is going to play a huge role um you know that's yeah whoever's coming out of the south by just simple fact that they're coming out of the south is going to have a weaker schedule and then if you add on top of that they get to play the worst team in the north um i mean if it's so let's just say for example it's usc they get to go through the murderer's row of UCLA and Colorado on their way there. Is there a single team in the North who's as weak as UCLA or Colorado this year? Uh, hard to say. We don't know. Washington State, maybe. Oregon State, maybe. Oregon State was good last year, though. And they're they're Washington, all right, yeah. And Washington State could be good. We just don't know. Um, but Washington, Oregon, uh, Cal, Stanford, we'll see. But um, I think there's an argument to be made that Colorado and UCLA and Arizona – uh, might be the three worst teams in the entire league. So whoever advances out of the South, if you add on to that, that they also get to play Washington State or Oregon State instead of Oregon, Washington, or Cal, uh, that's that's really making it an easy road for the South team. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I think they could decide to do something like that, but um, I think in, if they were you know, trying to go for the most equitable position, I think it would be somehow making it um, so you're you're power ranking things a little bit more to start the season and maybe not working along geographical lines. But again, that is taking the position of the most important thing being competitive balance in the Pac-12 right now and not necessarily the you know public health concern of keeping things relatively uh, regional and local. So I don't know. A lot of warring concerns. I think the main thing at this point for them is probably just going to be getting the games in and in the most in something akin to a fair manner, but I think they're taking the path of least resistance and it'll probably be one of the North teams that these teams already had scheduled. I think that'll almost certainly be a factor. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, I, I imagine what they'll probably do is just try to keep things as even as possible, play all the teams home and away that they originally had scheduled. 
and then pick whichever one of the North teams that they didn't have home or away um, to balance it out as much as they can. And some team is going to get screwed. I mean, it's going to happen and people are just going to have to roll with it. There's not going to be home home, you know, revenue for most of this because there won't be fans. Um, so there's that piece. It's just a matter of, you know, the home field win advantage. Yeah. And the travel and all that kind of stuff. So what, what I went through, like, so Oregon, they needed a home game and Canzano suggested, you know, Arizona, but they should have had to travel to Arizona. If you wanted to keep the home, uh, you know, away schedule thing, the same, the other two options that were already on their schedule was Arizona state was scheduled to come to Oregon. And so was USC. Um, so you could kind of go through that way. He also came up with a different format where you kind of throw out whatever the schedules were now. And he wanted Oregon state and USC to play, even though they weren't scheduled to play this year, Oregon and UCLA. I don't believe they were scheduled to play this year. Um, Stanford, Arizona state, Cal, Arizona, Colorado against Washington and Utah versus Washington state. So that was just more of like matchups. He sort of wanted to see with competitive balance, but I kind of agree with you. My thought is it might be hard to keep, the home in a way continuity, but I feel like they're going to try to keep, we're only going to schedule someone that was already on your schedule, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that, I think they're going to have to, cause they're wanting, I don't think they want to adjust too much for this abnormal year. You know, like, I don't think they're going to want to change the way, because if you change the home and away slot or you add an opponent who wasn't on the schedule already, then what does that do for the next year? Are you just going to go back and pretend as if 2020 didn't happen and just pick up where you left off? Or are you going to, you know, do the 2021 schedule as if, you know, as if 2020 happened and you just pick up where you left off at 2021? Um, I, I have to imagine they're going to want to keep the continuity so that they don't have to rethink future schedules based off of what they do here. Um, so I think ultimately it's going to come down to, all right, what'd you have on the schedule? All right. We're going to try to fit that as best we can. Yeah. I, I feel like that's what they're going to end up, uh, doing, which, you know, it's fine. It's, it'll be fun to criticize this, whatever it comes out. We're expecting sometime this week. Uh, do you want it to be like rolled out? Like the way the big 10 did it over like previews and stuff, or, or how are you, how would you like it rolled out? Just like a, a text or a, a tweet or something sent out. Yeah, just dump it. I mean, just dump it in a tweet. That's fine. Um, I like to see it all at once. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the way they rolled it out when they were anticipating the 10-game schedule is fine. You know, just give me a grid. I want to see where, who everyone's playing just at one glance. So, um, yeah, I don't think they need to get too fancy with it. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see what they do. Yeah, I, the Big Ted one was a little drawn out. but uh, And it, there's a bigger schedule to go with. So... I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, let's see. There's other stuff. One of the things that came up, and uh, An- uh, Andy Staples was very critical of Larry Scott because he was asked about, hey, shouldn't you be a big adv- advocate for expanding the playoffs? And we had some of our, I think our, some of the, the Washington uh, tweeters were like, no, don't expand. You shouldn't. Uh, if the Pac-12 deserves to get in, they'll get in. They'll just take away from the Rose Bowl. And, and it was just kind of this weird take. And I was just like, dude. You need to get in the freaking playoff. So, um, but apparently, according to ESPN report, I think Heather Dinich uh, or whatever, Dinich, what's her name? Heather Dinich? Dinich, yeah, I'm sorry. Reported, uh, and I think Kyle uh, Bonagora contributed to that, that Larry Scott actually proposed that um, to the uh, playoff committee and they shut him down. But 
he he was not an advocate for that, or at least he wasn't saying it. He kind of hinted that he was doing some stuff behind the scenes. I have no idea why he wouldn't come out and say, yeah, I think this is a crazy year, and get some more people behind it, you know? Um, but anyway, he did at least go to the playoff committee, and they shut him down. So I'll give him some props for that, because I think, I think that is the right move. Yeah. To, well, to go to the eight? Yeah, or you... Did you see the uh, tweets that we got on our the, yeah, that people a, are like I'm mad a, at me for suggesting Ryan thinks expand the playoffs? I'm like, yeah, dude, expand the playoffs. Yeah, I've kind of backed. I don't know. I, I've kind of waffled on the whole thing. I I think eight makes like um uh a really simple kind of sense because you can get all five P fives in there plus a group of five plus a couple at larges. Like it makes kind of a simplistic sort of sense. Um, yeah. I want to see do, UCF in there or something, you know, that's yeah, cool. I mean, Cincinnati. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. Um, I don't know how much, I think there is a dilution factor. Um, I think, the, I, I think the simple reality is for, especially the PAC 12 purposes, if they'd had a team that was good enough, they would have gotten in. Um, that's what but, they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But they haven't had a team that's good enough. And I get that argument. I mean, the thing is when Washington was good enough, they got in that one year, they were good enough. They did get in. Um, and the years they haven't been good enough, they didn't get in. Um, and that's, I know it sounds like circular, but if you look at the metrics, they weren't good enough those years, even with gaudy records. Um, and the years that the Pac-12 has truly had a good enough team, you know, somebody who's, you know, consensus top four or five um, across a lot of different advanced metrics, they've made it in. Um, so I, I don't, I could go back and forth on it because I think would eight be fun? Yeah, I'm sure eight would be fun. Um, is the four right now, have they generally gotten the four correct? Yes. Are they generally the four best teams? Yes. And have they screwed the Pac-12? Like, has it been a situation where the Pac-12 truly had one of the top four teams and they didn't get in? No. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of okay staying at four um, as of now because they've actually, I think, done a pretty good job with the process. Yeah. I know, I, I think they definitely have. But coming from a selfish point of view, I think it makes sense that you want the Pac-12 to at least be in there competing. Like they're an afterthought now. And I mean, yeah, but I want them to have a good enough team to compete. That's yeah. the thing. It's if you stick, whatever. What was I don't know the best I mean, team in the league last year, Oregon. I mean, maybe if they'd not screwed the Auburn game up, they would have made it in. But I mean, take it back two years. Who was the best team in the league that year? Washington. Who was it? Yeah, I think with, yeah, it was Washington. You, you th- stick that Washington team in the playoff, they would have gotten annihilated. Uh, but like Oklahoma gets annihilated, it's fine. You know, like at least they're, at least they're in the playoff. You know, I mean, I, I think you just got to be, you got to have a seat at the table. And it, and they, the Pac-12 has become an afterthought. And at least you can get in there and maybe get an upset. And then, you, then, you know, you have a bad loss. Like last year, say Oregon has that bad loss early on. But they come in and uh, they beat Oklahoma or whoever they get to play in the first round. Um, that's a big deal. I mean, I think that helps quite a bit. And you're so like, going, okay. Going by um, Bill Connolly's SP+, Washington would have been 16-point uh, dogs to Alabama if they'd advanced to the playoff in 2018. Yeah. And I don't know how different it was in 2016 when they advanced to the playoff. I think it was a little bit different. But um, nobody in that playoff, they, they wouldn't have been close to favorite over any of them. Um, and it's just... I I don't know how much I want to see that. Like I I, I love the Pac-12 and I'd rather watch the Pac-12 than pretty much any other league. But 
just you got to have a good enough team. Like yeah. if it was one of those, uh, the thing is, the Pac-12 is capable of producing that sort of team. Um, I think Oregon is on track and was on track this year to potentially have that sort of team if they got quarterback figured out. And then obviously they've taken some hits personnel wise, but they were on track to have that. And maybe they will have it in the next couple of years. Uh, Washington is still right there recruiting wise. Um, we'll see what the Jimmy Lake era brings. USC is always kind of the the sleeping giant in the room with their potential to recruit and all that kind of stuff to have that sort of team that actually can compete at that level and win. Um, but they're just we haven't the, the, the league has not had it in four years since Washington did it in 2016. Um, but before that, I mean, Oregon was producing elite teams pretty consistently for like a five year stretch there. Stanford was producing elite teams for a five year stretch there. There was a year not too distant in the last 10 years where if there had been a playoff at the time, Stanford and Oregon both would have made it. Um, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the PAC 12 just suddenly becomes a consistent, you know, playoff power again in the future, staying at four without going yeah. to eight. Um, it's just a matter of um, one of these leagues and one of these coaches um, and one of the, or not one of these leagues, one of these programs and one of these coaches actually getting it together. You know, USC finally firing Clay Helton and hiring somebody who's good. Uh, Jimmy Lake figuring it out. Mario Cristobal, Cristobal continuing to build. Um, UCLA deciding it's 1985 again. Whatever. <laughs> it could be anything. Um, but uh, it's just, I, I don't know if you expand to eight, if that's going to change the perception of the Pac-12, if they get a sacrificial lamb in there every year. Um, but I think for this year, it just made sense because I'm everyone... fine with getting weird this year. If you want to get weird with anything this year, I'm cool with it. And in fact, the weirder, the better, the less you make it seem like a normal season. I think the more fun it could be. Yeah. Like expand it to eight, make it 16. Doesn't really matter. Do something fun this year. I'd love to see a pod structure in one of these leagues. Obviously a lot of them already started, but something that like just makes it okay. This is something different. We're just going to experiment with some stuff because it's a weird year. This year doesn't matter. We're barely making any money. Let's just do it. Yeah, I like it. Um, well, the AP poll now has to readjust and uh, let Big Ten teams and, and the Pac-12 teams back in it. I think there was three Pac-12 teams originally. Now there's only one. Oregon's at 14. And uh, you got uh, others receiving votes, USC, uh, Utah, and Washington. So, I, I mean – not big on the polls anyway, but it's just kind of a weird situation that you had the AP poll. There was USC and Oregon and Utah in it, and now they're not. And then now only Oregon's back in it. So it's until like, yeah, until the games start being played. I mean, how do you compare like six, a team with, with six wins or whatever versus like a one and Oregon team? It just seems weird. Yeah. It's going to be really weird. And like, if you follow a lot of these metrics, it takes like, I don't know, half the season usually before they normalize into something that doesn't incorporate a ton of preseason data, you know, because they have to 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 establish any kind of baseline. They have to use a bunch of historical data, a bunch of stuff from last year, the stats of these guys last year, the different roster makeups based on their stats the previous year, all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't really fall out of these models until like the, you know, fifth or sixth game. And some of these models keep it in the entire year because it's such a low sample size over the course of a 12 game season. Now you're talking about a seven game season for the Pac 12, eight games for the Big Ten, you know, nine or 10 for the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. I mean, that's not a lot of sample size. You're going to end up with a lot of kind of weirdness in the data. And it's just, 
it's going to be weird. Like, where do you like, you put Ohio State? What number one? Just because they were ranked off of it, you know, basically preseason. No idea. No idea. And and two games into the year, you're still not going to have any idea. Um, so it's it's going to be a just a weird, weird year. Um, and I think uh, it's going to be a, a a real challenge for the uh, college football playoff committee when they're assessing all of this because. You know, it's 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 a challenge enough when it's um, normalized, when you have all of these power fives, more or less. I know more or less the SEC and the ACC are playing different types of schedule and, and the Big 12 playing a true round robin and so on and so forth. But more or less playing similar schedules, you know, more or less they're playing, you know, a big power five out of conference opponent and a couple of patsies and, you know, eight or nine league opponents. Um, this year it's going to just be wildly different. They're mostly going to be playing league opponents. Um, they're playing a widely varied schedule. The Pac-12 will almost certainly have to be dinged because they're only playing six Pac-12 opponents, and the Pac-12 is generally thought to be uh, the weakest or second weakest league. Um, the SEC may get a big strength of schedule boost because they're only playing the SEC. Um, all of these things, I think, will be factored in at some level, but I think the college football committee, the, the playoff committee, is going to have to be uh, fair is the wrong word, uh, but balanced in how they are approaching this, because I don't think they can sit there and say, well, the SEC, you know, they played just all themselves and their strength of schedules are so high. So three SEC teams are making it. Um, I don't think they can do that this year. I think yeah. they're going to have to spread it out. There's going to have to be legitimately. I think they're going to have to do one SEC team, one Big Ten team, one Big 12 team, one ACC team, no matter what. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, there's some uh, some player news. So Oregon loses another defensive back. So uh, nickel corner Javon Holland, he's going to the NFL. One of their definitely one of their best DBs, if not their you know the the best DB for the Ducks and uh, Elijah Molden for the uh, for the Huskies. He's an All Conference cornerback. He's going to play. But uh, they're probably not going to get Joe Tryon back or uh, defensive lineman uh, Levi Onwuzuriki, as I think that's how you say it. Uh, they both declared for the draft, so probably not going to see those two guys back. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's going to be hard. Um, I don't think we've heard. I think um, Ohio State might have gotten some guys back, maybe. But I think for a lot of these kids, they probably took money already. You know, if they really thought legitimately they were going, a lot of them have probably taken agent money. Yeah, uh, to get to start getting ready. So, um, you know, it's a weird year. And some guys, I think, have been forced into some very, very difficult decisions. And it sucks if it doesn't work out for some of them, because yeah. I think they've had to make really adult decisions, you know, and they were going to have to make them eventually anyway. But they've had to make them earlier than they would have intended. And I think especially for Oregon, a guy like Thomas Graham or um, Diamador Lenore, uh, I don't. Again, I don't know if they were obvious NFL prospects, but, you know, choosing to leave at that moment, it makes some sense, but it also might not work out for them. Um, yeah. And that's true of a dozen different guys in the league and throughout the country. But it's it's a lot of people are being forced into decisions that are tough and it, it sucks. And hopefully hopefully there's some uh, equitable way of dealing with it. Hopefully if these guys did want to come back, even if they have taken agent money or whatever, uh, there will be you know, leniency for that because yeah. it is, it's a very tough call um, for a lot of these guys right now. For sure. I know like USC had two guys opt out and one of them, the defensive lineman, Jay Tefele did hire an agent. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker did not, uh, but he hasn't announced he's going to come back. I don't think he will, 
But even if you hire an agent, I think there was a there's a process because Ohio State, I think they did bring a few guys back. Um, I think there's, you know, I think the NCAA could be potentially lenient if uh, if that happened, as long as there wasn't like a whole bunch of benefits and stuff taken. But if you sign with an agent, sometimes there's going to be a lot of benefits there, too. So, because, oh, yeah. you know, it's the way it is. Uh, OK, so remember we talk about like the uh, that place up near Fresno. Uh, that was, yeah, that was yeah, that, 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 the most beautiful place on earth next to Fresno. Right. Uh, the only one that I have not been, I don't know if you've been, have you been out to Joshua tree before? I've been through Joshua tree. Joshua tree doesn't interest me that much. It, yeah. Like I've had people tell me it's like the most beautiful place on earth. And I, I went, we went like backcountry camping for a couple nights. So maybe that had something to do with it. Like we weren't staying, you know, we're staying in the freaking desert in a tent. Um, did a bunch of hiking. It was hot as balls. Beautiful, you know? But it's uh, whatever. But I didn't get to watch. That was over the weekend. So I didn't watch any college football. Oh, I actually watched. I watched because KJ Costello and uh, Mike Leach. That's, That's what I, I wanted to say. And it was, you know, at Orgeron, you had all this uh, Pac 12 connection there. But KJ Costello throws for 627 yards. Yeah, and, and homeboy, dude, he was not sharp. Like, this is the thing really? Costello was not sharp and set an SEC passing record. Like, if he had been on, I think he would have thrown for 800 yards. Jeez. It was stunning to watch. And I was like, I was expecting, because, you know, the Leach offense, it can take a little bit of time. Not a lot, but when he's starting anew in a place, it can take a little bit of time. And it started out guns blazing. Like, that was, I won't say, like, peak Mike Leach the way it was, you know, at the beginning of last year when they had all those receivers just dancing around. I was like, wow, this is, this is like air raid at its finest um this was pretty close man it was it was really astounding to see him do that with some sec athletes like some of those receivers were like wow i've never seen an sec i've never seen a mike leach offense with that kind of athlete at receiver um and doing it to lsu you know doing it to a team that's got i mean and obviously they've lost a ton but uh a team that has you know five-star talent up and down the board um it was that was that was something else. And yeah, there's going to be some adjustments to that offense and Leach doesn't really adjust too much in that offense, so I'm sure there's going to be games where it doesn't look too good, but uh for for game 1, that was a hell of a debut. It gets a defending national champion. Maybe you know Alabama ends up being there, Washington there, but props to Leach for getting those guys ready. We saw Costello throw some kind of version of the air raid when he was just throwing to all those receivers and tight ends and stuff. Uh now he's actually in a system that you know, enhances that. So, wow, that's, I think, uh, all we wanted to do was see Mike Leach sort of, you know, ruffle some feathers in the sec. And like, he definitely started out doing this, but if he's able to do that, there's no reason like he couldn't make a run there, you know, and just really put every, you know, when we saw, uh, the, you know, the fun and gun or whatever with uh, Spurrier and he just really just played a whole different kind of offense than the rest of the sec at the time. Maybe you're going to see something like that. Uh, it'll be, I'll be curious to see what uh, what he ends up doing there. Uh, he's going to run the exact same offense he's run for his entire career. Yeah, that's, but that's like how how effective it is, you know? Like, oh, it's going to be it's uh, it's going to be effective. Um, I I I didn't know if um, the thing is he's he's been able to produce good offenses with bad talent for most of his career. But I didn't know if you add good talent to that or great talent or whatever you would call Mississippi State talent, clear like top 30, top 25 recruiting power. Um, but if you add good talent to it, does that raise the level of the offense or is the offense just kind of built to be good? 
not much better than good, but just good. And early returns, but maybe there's a lot of untapped upside in this offense if you add some elite talent. Um, yeah. And I'm really interested to see where this goes um, and really interested to see it as it approaches, you know, some of the other true powers in the SEC. If uh, if they're able to, you know, ring up Jimmy Lake and ask him, uh, so how, how how do you how do you defend this thing again? <laughs> you know, what would be cool? Like, OK, say for a program like UCLA, because you're in like this talent, you know, there's so much talent around. Right. There's talent everywhere. What if you brought like an innovative coach that had high levels of success somewhere with an innovative <laughs> offense and brought him in like, like a chip Kelly uh, and you bring him down to like with that kind of talent, what could he do? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not in a, I'm not in a good enough mental place, Ryan, to be handling this question right now, but it's, it's one of the like most tremendous UCLA things of all time is <laughs> to have hired chip Kelly and then have him turn out to be like a worse version of Carl Durrell, like <laughs> even more conservative, even less likely to go for it on a fourth down. Like just it's 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 not it's not that it's distressing. It's that it like almost it's darkly comic. Like it is like, oh, wow, this is this is truly a tragedy in four acts. Like it's it's incredible. Ten out of ten. Would hire again. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, when the noise you made was sort of like uh, Ralph Wiggum when like Lisa gave him, like, when she breaks him, his heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it was the I sound of a heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not going to go anywhere this weekend. I'm going to be around uh, on 4 30 uh, Saturday on ESPN. I want to see it's like number four Georgia versus number six Auburn. And JT Daniels has been cleared by Georgia. They kind of had uh, their starter wasn't very good last week against Arkansas. And then they had like a former walk-on come in and do okay. But I haven't heard yet. And maybe they've announced something, but he, he likely could start in that game. So I definitely want to see what JT Daniels can do with, you know, playoff caliber talent all around him. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Um, uh, it'll, you know, if, I'm I'm really interested to see it as well. I think we did see it, especially at the receiving core uh, at USC. So it'll be interesting if that changes, if he's got an offensive line and everything. I thought he was good at USC. I didn't see the off-the-charts, like, clear best quarterback of all time that, um, you know, that, it, that a lot of his high school accolades made it seem like he was going to be. So I'm interested to see if it's a different deal there. Um, if maybe he's able to, uh, even take it up a notch from where he was at USC, where he was good. Um, I just wasn't seeing the like super elite guy. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm very interested to see that one as well. We'll see. And, uh, Cal Bonagora has done some good, um, reporting, uh, for Santa Clara County. Oh, and, uh, I haven't, I don't know if you've seen the Twitter stuff. So basically he was talking about. Um, that San Jose State could potentially leave the state to, to practice because they're the Mountain West is starting early. So he's saying with the expected start date of October 24th, San Jose State's looking for potential options of practicing outside of Santa Clara County. Um, he said the state still hasn't amended the 12-person cohort guidelines despite Gavin Newsom's public state statement two weeks ago. And that's what I've talked to USC people. They haven't given me the numbers yet. I thought they might have increased it a little bit. Um and, uh, you know, Stanford has the same problem. I think 
most of the uh, California schools still have the same problem. They're not able to fully practice because those cohort numbers have not been uh, increased, maybe you know, briefly, like slightly, but not to the point where you could have a full team um, practice. And he said, starting from California's public health, the information we provided was we provided on September 16th still stands. We do not have any more information to provide at this time. If that changes, we'll circle back to you. Um, and I believe the counties um, said that they would follow the state guidelines. And as of now, the state guidelines haven't been uh, lifted. He tweeted that David Shaw said he was hopeful that the limit would be uh, lifted by training camp. You know, and that would be probably August 8th, August 9th timeframe. And I think that's realistic, but this is still a problem. Like if, if the California schools can't practice, I, I don't know how the mountain West is going to play because you have three San Jose state, uh, Fresno state and San Diego state. Um, you know, the, those two counties for, for Fresno and for uh, San Diego will be a little bit more conservative. Like as far as I think they would be more open to allowing things happen, but uh, for San Jose State, that they're up in the same place where Stanford is, and and I don't think those have been um, modified yet. So, are you you concerned at all that these cohort numbers, even though the political stuff was out there and Gavin Newsom was saying, "I'm not stopping you guys from practicing," um, they really are right now. Yeah, I mean the the reality is it's a lot of apparently local agencies. I'm sure the governor has some power to make this happen, but um, I, it's hard to gauge who's actually um you know putting their heels down at this point is it the local governments is it the governor's office wanting to signal one thing publicly but then do another thing privately it's hard to know um but yeah i mean i'd be a little bit concerned for the california schools especially if they're going to be allowed to um start on time um i think eventually they will be uh because there's too much momentum and again people will get up in arms if you know if prevention of play is happening there's going to be more public letters and all that kind of stuff but um yeah i mean it does seem like there are a lot of forces at work in california um and rightly so uh but there are a lot of forces at work in california uh that that are prioritizing the public health um disaster and not the uh money-making football machine he tweeted uh, the city of Berkeley statement, city of, uh, I mean, Santa Clara County statement, and they both were following along. Hey, we're following the state guidelines. So even though Gavin Newsom was trying to save some face and say, yeah, we're going to let you guys do it, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's not as big of a deal yet for the Pac-12, but it is for the Mountain West that they had that more aggressive schedule two weeks earlier, which means they should have been starting fall camp basically this week. And if you're at any, you know, those schools, you can't do that right now. Right. right. And then one last topic. Um, did you read that uh, Sportico story on it was like a PR piece for Larry Scott? We got I felt I, I you know, that like embarrassed feeling when you're watching somebody do something embarrassing on TV and you kind of cringe and have to look away. Yeah. One of those things. Yeah. It's kind of where I was with reading that story. Like I read a couple <laughs> of paragraphs and I'm like, oh, they're trying. And then it got into the Larry Scott like hagiography. And I was like, nah, no, no, I can't. I can't read it anymore. I can't read it anymore. Once it started to become like a press release for the the Larry Scott, um, I don't know, reclamation project, um, I was just I was kind of out on the whole thing. It's it's, you know, I feel bad because um, it's a byline story, and I don't like to you know, rip people apart for stuff that they got paid to do during a pandemic. But it wasn't good, not a no. good story. Shout out to uh, Tom, uh, Mister T P S M. 
he's a he's a UCLA undergrad and USC grad school alumni, and he's from and his bio on Twitter, Jake Browning's hometown. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, he also says he might end up being the last guy on earth not to make his own podcast. So we might have to have Tom on the show sometimes. But he tweets us some good stuff, and he Tom, tweeted that Tom, one. Tom is Tom McNamara. Tom yeah. is yeah. What is that? He's he's the one who emails us too. You know Tom. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. The, the, he emails us as well. But yeah, great, great stuff from Tom. Um, yeah, that was just like, and there, it was one of those things where I felt like they tried that they were trying to like appear to have some balance. Like, well, and obviously this didn't happen, but nobody's perfect, you know. Like it was, one of those things. and you're like, dude, this is like a PR piece, you know. Like, there's no like, you, what they what the Pac-12 paid like the LA Times writer to like. I think this is what was happening. Like this is probably a, someone that was paid by the PAC 12 to create this. Uh, I think that's what they were trying to do. And uh, that writer ended up breaking some other story that the, there was going to be enough inventory uh, for the, the PAC 12, like to, you know, for their TV contracts or something like that. I didn't actually read that one. Um, but I just got the feeling like, wow, is this someone that's someone being fed information by the PAC 12 as a, uh, getting a little benefit, like what they tried to do with yeah, the LA I, Times and got shut down. Who knows? I never know. You know, you never know if it's the writer being fed or if it's the organization being fed, and then they're getting paid and then they're doling out a minimum wage salary to write it up. I don't know. I never yeah. know, and so it's tough. Um, it's like an East Coast writer and stuff too, just like oh, yeah. No, it's it's a, I mean, it was it was not a good story. Um, it was a PR fluff piece. Um, but I. I guess they're trying to gas up Larry right now. Give him some good positive pub out there. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's see. We're going to, before we take a quick break, I want to tell everyone about my bookie, unless you've been living under a rock. You know, the NFL is back. We got Pac-12 coming back. The NBA playoffs. The finals are starting today. Uh, full swing. And only one thing. It's winning season at my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my money on it and we're doing our picks on it. We're going to get to do picks this year. That's great. Uh, I sometimes have a gut feeling about a matchup. Sometimes I'm just betting because I like the team. Uh, regardless, uh, if you're betting for years or if you're just ready to go to bet for the first time, my bookie is your best bet for the season. With the biggest online selection of bets and props, they've made it simple to win and easy to withdraw your cash right now. They got a $100,000 super contest for only 10 bucks to enter, and they're giving away five grand in, cra- in cash every four weeks. So you'd be crazy not to invest your sports knowledge into the kind of potential return on your investment. $10 to win thousands. Sign me up. Uh, you can sign up too at my bookie. Use the promo code PAC12. You'll claim a 100% deposit match all the way up to a thousand bucks. That means you put a hundred in, they give you another hundred. It's really easy. Uh, a great way to start and jumpstart your bankroll. So you got the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, college football. They're all on tap. It's never too late to get started on your winning season exclusively at my bookie. Uh, all right. I hope you guys check that out. We will be able to do our picks this year, David. I'm excited for that. It's going to be a shortened season, uh, but we'll be able to do some picks and we can maybe put some bets on my bookie. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, and you won't be able to fatten up on all those worthless non-conference games this year. That's what you were doing, but yes. Uh, okay. Last year. Um, I did terrible the non-conference last year, but let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and uh, get to your questions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How was your break, Ryan? My break was good. How was yours? It was great. It was great. Um, we had a, a lot of topics. Books. We almost went an hour, like a lot of topics, uh, a lot of stuff to get to. It was good to have you back. I didn't have to like talk by myself the whole time. Um, that's tough. Do you ever do those? Like, yeah. Or for an I, hour on yourself? I used to, to do, um, back when I was like actually, um, you know, daily at UCLA, I used to do like um, pretty regular Q&A podcasts where I would just read questions off the message board and then respond to them via podcast. And sometimes those would stretch two to two and a half hours. And I don't think I've it's so tiring. I don't think it's like easy to explain to somebody because most people don't talk for two hours like they're not, you know, you got to have like a little like a lowish level of narcissism to want to do this, like just talking to a microphone. So most people don't do it. They don't talk to anybody for two straight hours unless they're in like sales or something. Um, Doing it is exhausting. It's just it's way too much. Like you you realize, oh, I can't even take a sip of water because I'm the only one carrying this thing right now. Exactly. And it's I like, don't want to I don't want to have to edit together several tracks. So we're doing this in one take and I'm just going to have dry mouth by the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Well, we don't have much left. We just have some questions. And this is the uh, you know, this is where we this is the, the bump I love to play. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. Nice. Uh, and I think we have. Chris from Soul up. Do you want to do the first one? I'd love to do Chris from Souls. Okay. What is the correct date? Space question mark. Gentlemen, I almost deleted the pod when David went on his last COVID rant, but mind numbed, I somehow listened to the end. I was gobsmacked to hear David promise never to talk about COVID again. Hallelujah. Living that dream is worth many a five-star review. I don't know if you read the Feldman piece on the Pac-12 restart date. Surprised to read how much of the Pac-12 had basically abandoned football for the year. Not running a legitimate strength and conditioning program. Coaches not going to their offices for months. Players gone home. Depressing that some of the perceptions about the conference may have validity. Even the most optimistic Husky knows it is time to abandon dreams of JT Tuimoluau. Any idea? Did I do that right? Uh, You're close. Cool. And or Emeka Egbuka. Staying home, knowing what you know, wait, let me rephrase, believing what you believe, when should the Pac-12 play its first football game, and what sort of schedule should they play? Finally, how significantly have the opt-outs affected the competitive balance of the conference, which teams will be helped the most? All right, so many of your questions have already been answered by the Pac-12's announcement, um, but how will the opt-outs affect it? Uh, Hithliday, I think think we might be reading an email from him in a little bit. Yeah, we can get into that. Where Um, he, he, he dumped on me. He farted all over me. <laughs> Took a big old Odell Beckham on my chest. All right. He loves doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, his he basically points, though, made about... the case that I'm there sorry, aren't. He made the case that there aren't that many people who've left the conference. Yeah. There's but some... When I looked at that list, I was like, a lot of these guys are, you know, prominent. Yes. Who've left the conference? There's a lot of prominent players. Um... And and we'll get into that. So we'll get into that with Hitler days. Um, you know, we know the schedule now. We talked about the crossover stuff. The whole part of um, part of the Pac-12 abandoning football for the year and not 
you know, you know, sending coaches home and things like that. It definitely depended by the program. Uh, Chris Cartman wrote a great piece of what Arizona State was doing. They're they're as, as ready for football as anybody. I think Colorado did a good job with that, and now they got the shutdown. Boulder shut them down for a couple of weeks. Um, I think Utah was was good. The people I talked to at USC, they did everything that was in their power, but it still was only, you know, the California schools. The most you could do is work out in those groups of twelve. Um, I think USC took did that. They didn't send people home, whereas maybe some of the other California schools did, but they prepared as much as you could. You know, uh, I think Oregon schools had some issues because of the the restrictions there, but there were definitely some schools that were out there and. Like Arizona was just getting ready quite a bit. I think Arizona, I mean, Arizona State, Arizona, I think had some, some outbreaks and they, you know, they had some issues with that. Uh, so it also depends on, you know, what the testing was like for the schools. Uh, but it was a mixed bag and I would have liked to see more of the schools, you know, do at least as much as you possibly could to prepare based on whatever your local health uh, restrictions were. Yeah. Yeah. I think they could have done a better job of that. Um, I think there is some element where it is not quite as serious, but also, I mean, (laughs) some of these staffs weren't getting paid, you know, (laughs) like Utah had to furlough a bunch of guys. Like, it's just, you know, I don't know the inner workings of a lot of these different organizations, but I don't know if you're, if a lot of your support staff has to get laid off or furloughed or something like that, then I don't know. It's kind of hard to run the whole thing. So I I don't know. I, I you got to keep the. I know Chris from Seoul is tired of hearing about it, but you got to keep the the broader perspective too, which is something that I think with the SEC and the ACC and the Big Twelve, and uh, it's it's you know they they are much more focused on the uh, the 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 industry uh, the 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 job they're doing, but. I think the states have had a stronger hand in limiting factors um, out west, and that's just been the reality. And yeah. um, it's hard to buck up against those. And should the Pac-12 have done a better job preparing for an eventuality that they had to have known could have potentially happened? Yes. As I said up top, the fact that they kind of still had to work out when they could restart um, as late as last week, that's not that's not great planning. Um, they should have been able to have a pretty good plan and then a contingency based off that plan if that didn't work. Um, and it sounds like they were still working out the finer details. They still are working out the finer details of how the schedule will even work. Uh, what were they doing for the last three weeks? Shouldn't they have been planning this? Like, come on. So I, I think they could have done a lot more due diligence to get the uh, restrictions lifted um, or at least have them, you know, have a pretty good idea of when they might be able to get those restrictions lifted. But, um, you know, I, I, I think you do have to keep your, you know, keep the perspective about all of this that um, for especially a big portion of the summer when things were looking very bad in California and in Arizona um, and Nevada and, and broadly out west and still not looking great, um, there were other priorities at play. And I think yeah. that's that's a fair thing. Yeah. All right. We got one from uh, Jason. Holy crap. Oh, we can't do this. No, no, this is this is more Pokemon. Okay, so here this is like I kind of glanced at this. I feel like if you're talking about this would be like one of those '80s, um, you know, uh, you know, comedy movies with like awkward high school days, and this guy, you know, the the nerd guy's in love with like the prom queen, and he comes up with this elaborate plan. It's like we're gonna have a D and D party, and all of my guys are gonna be in the whatever the, the, the bow tie uh, 
clan and and you prom queen and your girlfriends are going to be in the the princess clan and we're all going to roll dice and we're going to come up with this amazing uh we're all going to have our characters and we're going to dress up in the prom as this and i'm going to be your date and and your girlfriends are going to go with my nerds and it's going to be awesome we'll, we'll show everyone up and- is everyone out there is thinking the same thing right what? That this that this anecdote is way too specific and is actually something that Ryan did in high school. No, I wish I would have I've done something like this. But you do that, and then and she just looks at you and goes, "What the hell are you talking about?" And then he comes back the next week and goes, "All right, I, I get, I get what you're saying. And why don't we all have our characters get an extra roll of the dice so they'll have better powers <laughs> when they come through?" And she's just like, "Look, I'm like he." Jason completely doubled down on something. We have no freaking clue I, of what's going I, I, on. I respect it because he's obviously so into it. No, I respect this entirely. And if it was something I knew a damn thing about, like if you were doing this with like, I don't know, Star Wars characters, or yeah. if you were doing this with like U.S. presidents, or you were doing this with literally anything under the sun I know about, like I don't even care. It could be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I really don't care. I just know nothing about Pokemon. So it's me reading something, and it is gibberish to me. Like, I do not know any of these things. I don't know why it would be funny. Like, I can't even sell your lines correctly, like, reading them, because I don't know what's funny or what's not that you're saying. Like, that's the real fundamental issue. It's not a problem with you, Jason. It's a problem with me. I don't know this. So what we're going to do is post this on the blog again, and people who are interested and into it, they can read this. But it is – it's a simulation – of the different uh, different um, Pac-12 teams playing each other as their Pokemon. This might be something that you, listener, are very into. I just don't know anything about it. So yeah. um, That's a good so idea. And, and yeah. why David say we are going to do that, that will probably be me that does that. Yeah, right? no, I, I, just, I did just assign Ryan some work. Um, <laughs> he's not happy about this. Um, but... These are just this is this is this is the reality with which we work. Also, I would feel bad if somebody writes us a really long email and then we just do nothing with it. Maybe he just wanted it up on the blog. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we should just give know. him posting privileges because we don't do anything with that blog. Well, we we post our show. Oh, that's right. I mean, by, by we, I was well, using the royal we. Right. Me. I don't I don't do anything with that blog. <laughs> All right. So you just gave me more work. You get the read Hitler Day then. Oh yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Melian Dialogue. Melian. Oh, that is. Melian Dialogue. Let's see. Are we. Oh, okay. The Siege you know, of a... Milos? Yeah, okay. So, Hithliday, I've kind of localized him now. I think he's a classicist. Like, I think he's, uh, he's big into classical history. Like, that's a big thing for him. He likes, he likes his ancient Greece. He likes his Rome. He likes yeah. that whole region. He likes the languages. He likes the whole thing. He's a he's BC a, guy. He's, he's BC. a classics guy. He's yeah. a big classics guy. Okay. Uh, since the Pac-12 announced that it was postponing fall football back in early August, a number of experienced players have either opted out of any 2020-21 season or entered the transfer portal. I wonder if you boys think this has affected the balance of power within the Pac-12 or the expected order of finish. I tend to think the answer is no because of the stark division in roster talent between the haves and have-nots in the league. That is, these teams who have players talented enough to go pro early also have a lot of highly talented players ready to take their place. And those teams who don't didn't suddenly get a talent upgrade from guys transferring in. 
The only exception would be teams that don't have a thorough depth of talent, but do have a couple of excellent players that they've totally de- that they're totally dependent on. Those guys leaving would significantly change their team's prospects. Are there any such players and teams in the league at this point? Below is a list of those players who played in 2019 and have opted or tra- opted out or transferred out this summer. Uh, because David suggested last week that recalling who actually plays in Pac-12 football is beyond the scope of this podcast. Uh, but please also include any irreplaceable guys who reasonably could still take off, but haven't yet. All right, so the list he gives, and this is pre-Javon Holland announcing from Oregon. Uh, Tony Fields, Brendan Schooler, and Colin Schooler from Arizona. Luke Biquette and Cameron Bynum from Cal. Thomas Graham, Diamador Lenore, uh, Penny Sewell, and uh, Javon Holland from Oregon. Walker Little from Stanford, Jake Burton from UCLA, Jay Tufele from USC, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, uh, Levy Onwuzurike. Onwuzurike. That's what I said. Uh, I assume it's, I'm not sure though. But, it's yeah. K. You went key. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know any of the other words, but I know the K. Uh, Joe Tryon. And that's a failure of me. That's a failure of us here. His name is perfectly pronounceable. We're just looking at it and we're, we just, we can't do it. Because our tongues are bad. Uh, Joe Tryon. Uh, so that's from Washington. And then Roderick Fisher, Cosmos Quiti, Quete, uh, Pat Nunn, and Cassidy Woods from Wazoo. So the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, teams have had players depart, leaving Oregon State, Colorado, Utah, and ASU as not having any players depart, according to Hithliday here. Um, and just in general, I'll give you a few thoughts in general. I think, you know, Arizona state is the, is an up and coming team to not have big departures is a bit, I think it's a big deal there when you have big transitions like Colorado, you know, it's nice to have not lose a bunch of players, but you know, they're, they're going to have their own issues. Wazoo's going to have their own issues and also had some departures with the new coaching staff. So I don't think you're. You're helping yourself much. You know, maybe it gives Oregon State, you know, not having departures a, a little bit of a leg up. Um, you know, Arizona losing, you know, the Colin Schoolers of the world, just that's not, that's obviously not helpful. Um, you know, a couple, couple big ones for Cal. And, you know, Stanford, I don't think it's going to matter that much. For USC, if they lost, you know, like uh, Amon Rossi Brown at wide receiver, that would probably be a big deal. Their offensive line is going to be an issue and losing their best offensive lineman doesn't help. But I still think they'll be the favorite. And even with Oregon losing all that talent, I still think they'll be the favorite uh, in the North. So Mostly because uh, Washington c- took a couple of hits, too. Like, it didn't change the balance because, you know, losing two of their, you know, better uh, front seven guys, that's that's a hit. Big hit yeah. to Washington. The, the, I think the biggest problem is going to be if your favorites go and you have, like, an Oregon-USC, um, you know, losing your whole secondary, basically, for Oregon – and USC's passing game being at strength, that might not be a great matchup, something like that. So that could shift the balance in a game like that. But I, I kind of agree with Hitler. I don't think it's it's that significant changing the power. Plus, it's a I mean, this season's a crapshoot anyway. You just don't know. Like the way teams are preparing, you know, if you could have guys out because of COVID, like it's just so hard to say. So I I wouldn't say, oh yeah, with these defections. This is going to completely upset, you know, what our our power rankings were going to be. I don't I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I I, I I don't think it upsets the balance a little bit. I do think it takes the top end off a couple of these teams, particularly Oregon. Um, you know, replacing an entire secondary isn't easy. Um, or your best offensive lineman. Uh, 
Uh, I think from a, like an irreplaceable standpoint, I think Colin Schooler might have the best argument um, for Arizona. Um, you know, he'd kind of done the the Scooby Wright thing uh, there. Um, so I don't know if that one uh, counts as irreplaceable because it was, you know, a guy leaving from a bad team. Um, and I don't know if it will change Arizona's placement in the in the in the South because um, I think it's somewhere between fourth and sixth pretty much no matter what, and losing him, you know, maybe it changes it a little bit, but Colorado and UCLA are both still probably going to be pretty bad. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with him. I do think this is, like, these are some guys. Like, uh, again, we're an ignorant podcast about the Pac-12 that, like, knows, like, 10 guys on each team. I I knew the names of most of these guys, like, except for I'd never read or heard of Cosmos Quete before. I'd never yeah. heard that. But everyone else I knew. So, I don't know. That seems like, uh, you know, for an ignorant show about the Pac-12 where we don't know anybody or anything, uh, that seems like notable guys, right? For These sure. A lot of starters. Um, and I think with a, a guy like Petty Sewell, obviously, you know, a potential top three pick, it impacts you because Oregon already lost a gut bunch of guys on the offensive line. USC loses Elijah Vera Tucker, their best offensive lineman. They had already lost a bunch of guys you know, a first round pick and on the offensive line with Austin Jackson and their other right tackle. So, I mean, I think there's significant stuff there. It's good that Utah doesn't have like a big name on the list, but Utah already lost a ton of the production. I think that's, you know, the more important factor, but it's, you know, I think it's significant. I didn't think it was a mass exodus like you were talking about before, but you know, that's, uh, there's some real, you know, like you said, we don't know everybody on every team, but we knew most of these guys on this list. I don't know. I think you can have an exodus with like 19 guys. Yeah. I think you can do it. I think it's a mass exodus. That's a lot of mass. We're talking about some big guys. <laughs> Offensive tackles, defensive tackles. But you look at the mass that's left over, it's a much bigger mass. There's just so many more dudes left, so it's hard to... Whoa, so we're only judging relatively now? Is mass that's... a relative term? That's what, that's what I was looking at it as. Okay. But... All right. Well, relative to like just me or you, it's a mass. It is. The mass That's exodus. True. If I left a room, it wouldn't be a mass exodus. But 19 guys leave a room? I don't know. Right. 19 guys was, out of a room of 25? Who knows? But if there's 5,000 people in the room, then it's not a mass exodus. Is it, is it 5,000 or is it more like 1,200? You know? It's more like 1,200, but still, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, what's a mass, right? A, a tenth of a percent or whatever? Is that what we're talking about here? Hey, well, psh, we want to talk about tenths of percentages. We can get back into COVID talk. You want to do that? <laughs> no. Okay, I'll move on to Mark in Vancouver then. Fire Larry or Michael Scott. Hey, guys. In a series of competitions, which Scott which Scott would win? Uh, do we have... The truth is we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> Champagne Larry or Michael Scott from The Office. First person to get fired slash remove wins the round. Okay. So the first competition. So the first guy to get fired or removed wins. First Did you watch The Office? Yes. Okay, cool. You're handling you? this one. Okay. Uh, he was basically like the bumbling. Uh, oh, I know. Be- I know. I just uh, I watched like an episode ever. Okay. So the first competition is running the Pac-12 conference. I I think uh, Champagne Larry wins because he's proven he's he's not done a good job and he's still there. Um, I think Michael Scott would have been fired by now. Okay. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. I, I, you oh, know. wait, actually, no. The first person to be fire remove would win. So Michael Scott would win because he would be fired first. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. He would annoy too many people, right? I think he would just, yeah, there would be, um, like, Larry's at least polished, and he would butter up the executive. So Michael Scott would uh, make the executives cringe a lot. So I think Larry doesn't do that. Uh, Michael would. They would be like, what? Like, he uh, went on vacation with one of the uh, the executives at Dunder Mifflin, and, like, they were having sex, and he would, like, posted a picture of, of her, like, topless in the office or something. Like, he would do a lot of cringeworthy stuff that the – the powers that be would feel uncomfortable and they would want to remove him where Larry wouldn't, he wouldn't upset the people that pay the bills where Michael Scott would. Okay. All right. Uh, competition two: running the Dunder Mifflin Scranton branch. I'm going to go the exact opposite. I'm going to say Larry would be removed first. He'd just be too, everyone would hate him. You know, like Michael Scott was at least lovable, even though they like got annoyed with a lot of the things that he would do or, Whatever, but I feel like, yeah, they wouldn't put up with Larry's crap there much longer. He would just get a lot. I think Larry would be out first. Okay. And then competition three, running a Civil War unit as a general. Uh, Larry Scott would have been uh, general of the armies by 18, late 1861. You think he would have been the, so he would yeah, have like. Well, because incompetence rose and the ability to like, uh, Blow air up your own ass was the biggest factor in being promoted in the union up until about 1863. So I think he would have been he would have been, you know, general in chief. Yeah. Okay. so I think Michael Scott wins this round one because Larry would be promoted uh, just, yeah, constantly. But Michael Scott would probably want to be in on the action and would likely get shot at some point where Larry would like probably not. uh, He wouldn't join the fray. No, no, no. He'd be behind the lines in a tent, yeah. a really, a really well-appointed tent. Yeah, like uh, Michael Scott would come up with some plan, and he'd be like, "I'm going to the front line, and we're going to implement this plan." And we'd be showing like a flow chart of there as like bullets are flying. Larry Scott's tent would be like uh, eight thousand times more expensive than every other general's tent. <laughs> his tent, like his tent would be a three-story tent somehow. Like There'd it. be stairs. There'd be a like he would and and the 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 reason he would use that tent and it would be in like an odd location for his command tent, like in Philadelphia. And he would use it because it was in the same office as like the best telegraph um, corporation in the eastern Pennsylvania area. I like it. All right. Uh, okay. well, he says, thanks for keeping the podcast going through these difficult times. Mark in Vancouver. Thanks, Mark. This is from a guy. Via text message. They didn't okay. put their name. Oh, it was, uh, I think I looked it up. It was like, no, I'll, I'll no, 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 no. They give us their names or they don't get read. <laughs> okay. We've told them before. This is the only way we get them in line. This is like parenting. <laughs> put your names in the text messages. Hey, guys, newest numbers out of the NFL. 14,074 player tests administered, zero positives. What are the odds they are lying? So this was the correct information as of eight days ago and since then obviously uh titans have had titans have been the positive test vikings somebody maybe both uh but there have been positive tests since then um what are the odds they were lying before i think extremely high um but i think once the season started they had to get a little bit more uh close to the truth um i think it was all uh, not all bs but i think mostly bullshit beforehand i think they were probably having positive tests but 
hiding them somehow. They were also dividing up their reporting on it uh, weirdly. Like there were personnel who were testing positive, but they were claiming no player positives for the longest time. Which, uh, just, again, you look out at the world, does that pass anybody's smell test? No. No, it doesn't. It's ridiculous. Nonsense. So, no, I think it was all bullshit, um, but I think now that the uh, organizations are actually playing games and doing all this stuff, they can't be as bullshitty. So, yeah, I think they were lying, and uh, maybe they still are, but not nearly as much. Yeah, like, obviously now we know. um, I'm curious, you know, there's going to be an impact uh, for fantasy football and all this kind of stuff if... uh, that Pittsburgh Tennessee game isn't played like on Monday night or maybe Tuesday. Cause then what do you do? Then it's like, you know, there's, there's so much of that, the, the NFL system that works along just all these teams playing within, you know, between Thursday and Monday, if one team, you know, two teams don't, it's going to be really interesting. It's like giving it an extra buy or something. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And they're not going to be the last. I mean, there's going to be other games. There are probably some other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's with really it's, aggressive. The NFL testing. isn't friggin' immune. It's not like they're bubbling up. I mean, it's they're going to have the same issues the Major League Baseball had. Major League Baseball just more or less completed their season. How many cancellations or postponements were there? A whole was, bunch. Yeah. But so, they have games every day, so it's a little bit easier to, I mean, well. Yeah, but they tested positive, what, yesterday? And they're canceling games this weekend. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, there's going to be other postponements and cancellations. It's just the nature of the situation. And if things worsen, there will be more and more. Um, they're not they're not doing the NBA bubble. And the NBA has been the only truly successful league in pulling off a completely uninterrupted post-pan- or mid-pandemic season, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, hey, I one, don't count one, hockey because I don't watch it at all. One quick note. Uh, so Kyle, Kyle Bonagora has been tweeting a bunch of stuff while we're recording. So San Jose State, they're hitting the road. Uh, they're going to go practice somewhere else because they got to start practicing now because their season starts uh, in like, know, a day in like or two. three and a half weeks, right? They start <laughs> not yeah. that long. They're going up to Humboldt State University, David. Um, if you're a fan of uh, marijuana, like that's a that's a big big place for it up there. But 324 miles, about a five and a half hour car drive. Uh, to get up to Humboldt State, but the San Jose State, the San Jose State Spartans are going up to Humboldt, way up in uh, Northern California, to uh, to practice. So I don't know what you think about that, but I don't think they have much of a choice. They got to do something. I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird that they can't get their local county on board if they're using state guidelines as their reason for denying, and then they're just going to say, okay, we're going to drive further away in state to do this. Um, that seems crazy. That seems like they should be able to get their own county in line. Um, because if another county is willing to do it, or the friggin' governor should step in and say, either you cannot or you can do this, but you cannot limit them within your county just because of X, Y, or Z. Now, I guess Humboldt might be in a different zone of the, the you know, red, green, yellow, whatever the, the system is. Maybe that's playing a role. Um, but, yeah, it does seem kind of silly. Yeah, and I, I think that's why I'm, – I'm, I just DM'd uh, Kyle just to kind of make sure. But I believe the um, – like Fresno County and, uh, you know, in Fresno, you know, where Fresno State is, you know, this, and in San Diego, I think there's things that are more open there. So maybe the counties have less restrictive uh, numbers on the cohorts. Um, but we know L.A. County uh, and we know, you know, the city of Berkeley – 
and we know Santa Clara County of just going along way, basically with the state guidelines. So you're sort of on hold in those counties, and that's where the, the Pac-12 California schools are. But San Jose State's in that. And, I mean, maybe if, like, the season was supposed to start, uh, you know, the third week of October, Cal and Stanford would drive up there and do something too. I don't know. But at this point, um, you can still wait if you're the Pac-12 schools. But you'd like to get this moved. I mean, does it look good for the governor that you're seeing a, a state school in, in San Jose have to go up way up north to practice? It just that just doesn't make much sense. Just like you know what they're they're going to be testing, they're going to be do you know they're going to take care of their own. I don't think they're going to be a a public nuisance. There's not going to be a, a threat to the public by having them practice. I think this is one of those things. You just kind of let it happen, like you do for the Chargers and the 49ers and the Rams. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, I think that's good. Uh, good to have you back. We've Mr. got one. Oh wait, we already did Paul's. Okay, yeah, we're done. We're done. We yeah. did it. We did it in the time we decided we were going to do it. Even, yeah, it was, it was, we, we got on some tangents, but uh, it was good stuff. We still did what we got to do. So yeah, we didn't get a lot of questions after my solo podcast. So uh, keep sending those I guess, questions. In. I guess you had, you had, you had laid everything out so perfectly, so succinctly, so concisely that there were no follow-ups. They were just saying, well, that Ryan, wow. When he's not encumbered by that idiot, <laughs> Whatever his name is, Dan, uh, when he's not just burdened with having to carry that guy over the finish line every week, he can really nail a podcast. Nice. And I think that's what they said to themselves. And they're like, you know what? I'm just going to listen in now. No more emails, no more text messages, no more reviews. They have perfected the art. And hopefully that guy never comes back, whatever his name was. I don't think it's the case, David. Maybe you, you ruffle some people's feathers and that you inspire them to want to write it. Maybe it's a little bit more about that, you know. Maybe. Um, but whatever it is, we do appreciate uh, all the listeners out there, and thank you for sending in the reviews, and thank you for sending in questions and tweeting at us and all that kind of stuff. Going on the Reddit page, um, we're excited. We're gonna be able to talk about some football. We got to do some preview shows and stuff now. We've got a lot of preview shows to get into. Yeah. So probably next week we'll have kind of schedule reveal and then we'll have to do some accelerated uh preview so we'll get some information from all of our publishers out there they've been they've been good about that and we'll uh we'll get some get some things rolling i'm excited yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun i think it will here on the podcast the podcast of champions all right well that's gonna wrap it up he is david woods i am ryan abraham thanks so much for tuning into the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time bye